1: Christ warned the sleeping church of Sardis that boasted in false teachings of once saved, always saved, that boasted in its chosen state as the elect that Christ Himself, He said, I will blot your name out of the book of life in the judgment in heaven when I confess the names of true believers before the Father and the holy angels if you do not repent.
2: That's Pastor Michael Oxentenko, and this is Reaching Your Heart. Before we get started, we want you to know that we believe here at Reaching Your Heart that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, please call us at any time, day or night, 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. We're continuing today with the Revelation series here on Reaching Your Heart. And you can find today's broadcast online at reachingyourheart.com. That's reachingyourheart.com. Here's Pastor Mike.
1: Seven epic attitudes are the epic concerns of Jesus Christ for his church from apostolic days to the last day. Why? Why? Why do we find this as the focus in the seven churches? I'll tell you why. Because Jesus Christ cares about what's inside your head and heart. He cares about the stuff that motivates the church. He cares about the atmosphere whereby the Holy Spirit dwells within. And so seven epic concerns, epic attitudes, the seven churches. The first epic attitude represented by the church of Ephesus is the call to love. We will review the previous weeks here in a very succinct way, the first epic attitude is the call to love, the church of Ephesus. And the church of Ephesus represents the church of the first and second centuries that lost its first love. Christ called the early church to renew its commitment to love even as it faced internal compromise, as it was fighting the Nicolaitans, that proto-gnostic heresy that threatened to remove Christianity through religious subjectivism and philosophical neoplatonic mix-up so that people could no longer see the truth. They were caught up in their own thinking. That early church engaged this heresy and it was removed. Christ called this early church to renew its commitment to love the heretic, even if that heretic was unlovely. The second epic attitude represented by the church of Smyrna is the call to faith. The Church of Smyrna represents the church of the late 3rd and early 4th centuries that was persecuted by the Roman Empire for 10 years from 303 A.D. to 313 A.D. For 10 days, meaning 10 years, Christians suffered under the great persecution which ended in the Edict of Milan in 313 A.D. when the Emperor Constantine granted religious freedom to the Roman world. The third epic attitude represented by the church of Pergamum is the call to biblical obedience. The church of Pergamum represents the church era of the synod movement and the institutionalization of the orthodox church with false church fathers who compromised the teachings of the Bible, paving the way for pagan ideas and open immorality in the church of the Middle Ages. It represents the church of the late 4th to early 6th centuries, that replaced Bible authority with church authority. The fourth epic attitude represented by the church of Thyatira is the call to purity. The church of Thyatira represents the church of the Middle Ages when a false church system acted as Jezebel, leading Christians into idolatry and idol worship. Paganism and immorality were mixed with the theology of the Christian church. And we find an eclecticism that spoiled the faith of God. The church of the Middle Ages tolerated the harlot Jezebel who led many Christians astray. And Jesus says in Revelation 2.21 that He gave her time to repent. The time was 1260 years long, from the spring of 538 A.D. when the siege of Rome lifted to the captivity that occurred in the spring of 1798 A.D. God wanted the children of the harlot Jezebel to be saved, but she would not repent. And so Jesus warned the church that He would strike her children dead if they did not repent of Jezebel's works. So we see the children of the mother church sharing in the sins of the mother church. The fifth epic attitude represented by the Church of Sardis is the call to vigilance. It concerns the post Reformation Church after the 16th century. It started out right with the Bible, sola scriptura, righteousness by faith, and other key biblical teachings, but it failed to move forward in the teachings of the Bible. The church that started out with righteousness by faith settled for a focus on predestination, which led to the death of vital faith, producing soiled spiritual garments. The doctrine of predestination shut down missionary work because people didn't feel it necessary to reach those who were not the elect. For the post-Reformation church, God's election took the place of Christ's call, His personal call for the believer to have faith in Jesus Christ and to perfect its works before God. Jesus warned the church of Sardis that if it did not awaken from its sleep, that they would be blind to prophetic truth, that they would be unable to understand what was happening on the eve of the advent of Jesus Christ, and that He would come like a thief for the children of the Reformed tradition. Christ warned the sleeping church of Sardis that boasted in false teachings of once saved, always saved, that boasted in its chosen state as the elect that Christ Himself, He said, I will blot your name out of the book of life in the judgment in heaven when I confess the names of true believers before the Father and the holy angels if you do not repent. For Jesus, it's not enough to believe once. Friend, you must keep on believing all the way to the end of time. The sleeping church of Sardis has the name of being alive, but it is really dead. Friend, it's not enough to call yourself an evangelical today. You must really be evangelical and obedient to God's word to be alive in Jesus. And that brings us to the church of Philadelphia, the sixth church in the book of Revelation. The sixth epic attitude was represented by the church of Philadelphia, and it was a call to perseverance The Church of Philadelphia represented the church period of the great Advent awakening that led to the great disappointment of 1844. It also represented faithful Advent believers who hold their confidence in Jesus all the way through to the end, the perseverance of the saints to the end. And those who persevere and hold on to Jesus will be kept safe from the mark of the beast test that is coming on the whole world to test those who dwell therein. We find in the Church of Philadelphia that holding on to God's name means keeping God's law. And so the great Advent awakening brought God's church into full obedience and alignment with the Ten Commandments. It was the beginning of Sabbatarian Adventism as a part of prophetic fulfillment. The Church of Philadelphia represents those who honor God's name by keeping the whole Ten Commandment law of God and by exercising an abiding faith in Jesus all the way down to the end. The last church era is the church of Laodicea. And our journey through the seven church epics brings us to the seventh church, the church of Laodicea this morning. The Laodicean church is the one church era of the seven of which there is no commendation from Christ at all. There is nothing good said at all about it. The church of Laodicea is the church that doesn't know that it is really bankrupt without Jesus. The church of Laodicea represents God's people at the end of time. God's people who are at the end of the timeline of seven epic attitudes. God's people who are the culmination of prophetic truth. It represents the self-righteous generations. Now I want you to hear what I'm saying. Of Adventist believers who follow generationally the great disappointment of 1844, but who do not know Jesus. The church of Laodicea represents the children of the early Advent movement who became lukewarm, who lost the love of those pioneering faith-building believers who wanted Jesus to come, who settled down with the goodies which were the result of generational wealth and prosperity. And they are pictured here in this church message being totally bereft of the righteousness of Jesus Christ just before the mark of the beast and the second coming of Jesus. At the very end... The very people who should know the truth don't know that they are not ready for the return of Jesus. As the last church era, the church of Laodicea, represents our church, friend. The Seventh-day Adventist movement, the children of Millerism, that arose out of the Millerite Advent awakening that is bankrupt spiritually without a vital connection to Jesus Christ. You thought I was picking on other churches in this series, didn't you? You thought I was just talking about others. Well, friend, we've come home today. We've come to the church that describes us right here. We've come to the last church era, prophetically speaking. We've come to a covenant dialogue between Jesus Christ and us. We who sit in these pews. We who carry the mantle that came before. We are the topic of the latest in church. Seventh epic attitude is more than an attitude, friend. More than an attitude. It is the call to Jesus to have the mind of Christ that comes from the living Christ in the church. It is a call to have the true one alongside the great truths of the Reformation, the truths that we have inherited because of our prophetic flow. It is the call to experience Jesus as the truth more than any other truth in your life. Friend, the Seventh Church Epic represents the Seventh-day Adventist Church, and the church of Laodicea is the call to Jesus. The call to Jesus. It is possible to be in such a hurry working for the return of Jesus Christ. Being a busy bee with the teachings of the Bible. Correcting others that you don't take time to know Jesus Christ yourself. It's possible for preachers to be that way. It's possible for elders to be that way. For the average person in the pew to see the church as a culture that is busy but not a place where Christ is in the mix. This is the challenge of my life. Is it the challenge of yours? Or am I only speaking to the wall? Maybe it is for you too. We in Shakespeare once wrote, I wasted time and now doth time waste me. Now when you lose time, you lose life itself. A meaningful life necessitates the proper use of time that can be lost. When the moment surrenders to the next, and it happens again and again, if you aren't careful in life, the day is gone and life is gone with the day. When the moments slip away and you discover that you can't get them back, you feel the loss of what time really means. Shakespeare was right, I wasted time, and now doth time waste me. Friend, the most important use of your time is to take time to know Jesus Christ. I mean, all the things we talk about. I mean, the book of Revelation is a revelation of Jesus Christ. Why? Because the great need of the end time church and in the church in every age has been the person of Jesus Christ. As important as the truths of the Bible are, the most important truth is the living Christ in the church. The most important use of your time is to take time to know Jesus Christ. This is life eternal, that they might know Thee, the only God, and Jesus Christ whom Thou hast sent. Where do you want to be found in these last days? Friend, I want to be found in Jesus, period. To relish the Christ of the cross and the Christ of the empty crypt who is a living high priest before God. This is what I want more and more in my own life. This is what I want here in this place. This is what Jesus wants for us. I am convinced. We live in a world in which there is a feeling that we don't have much time left to waste. To you get that feeling? That time is running out. You can't manage the days. It's moving on like a freight train. Friend, there's a sense that the end is coming, and there's a fear that's in the air. You can see it as you move through the streets of our country. You can feel it as you watch the television. It's palpable. It's in the air. And dear heart, if your confidence today is rooted in how much money you have in the bank, or how much equity you have in your home, or how secure the financial system is, or how fat your retirement account is, if that's what you sit down with at the end of the day, you think, I'm okay, you're in trouble. Brace yourself for a future shock that will shatter worldly plans. One morning you're going to wake up in this country and the world economy will be seized by those who think they can save it by regulating it into the mark of the beast. And life will never be the same again when the test comes. The test that is talked about in the church of Philadelphia comes to the Laodicean church that is untested by persecution. The mark of the beast will one day become a reality in this country and then the world Our government will choose who can buy and sell, as all governments eventually will, and what to believe in, and when to go to church, and who to worship, and how to worship, because the final issues are over worship. And if you're already in love with money, if you worship the world, and you don't know Christ in your life, I mean, you're just going to go right along with it, and that's just how it is. And when the test comes, the golden moment will be gone for you to get ready for the second coming of Jesus Christ. Friend, the end will be upon us all and we will have to stand with what we have done with the sacred trust of time. If you're waiting for tomorrow to get close to Jesus, if you're just putting it off because you're just so busy, you can't pull it together, you're going to find out the hard way that tomorrow will be too late to get ready for the marriage supper of the Lamb. Today is the day. Today is the day. Today you have the opportunity of receiving a righteousness that will stand the test that is coming on the whole world. I mean, it's not something so complex. It's rocket science. It's something so basic. It's centered in the person of Jesus. The person of Jesus Christ, friend, can make you righteous and keep you righteous for the last day. An external, objective righteousness that is given to you as a marriage robe, a white garment for the future. We often read Matthew 6:25 to 33, but we fail to understand its context in Matthew 624, so let 's back up and look at the context this morning. Matthew 6:24. Christ is very clear here. He says, "No one can serve two masters. For either he 'll hate the one and love the other, he 'll be devoted to the one, despise the other. You cannot serve God and Mammon." The New American Standard Version says, "You cannot serve God and wealth." The New International Version says, you cannot serve God in money. Now the word mammon in the Greek is taken from the Hebrew word we use at the end of every prayer. How do we end our prayers? Amen, right? Mammon comes from the Hebrew word amen. It has a participial prefix, which is the M at the front of it. It's simply another way of saying amen. Amen derives its meaning from the idea of truth and trust. The verb aman of which Amon or Amen is built off of, is related to the noun emet, which means truth. It's a feminine abstract Hebrew noun.
2: More with Pastor Michael Tenko in just a moment. Studying the Bible is vital to our lives, and we would like to help you in that process by providing you free Bible study guides. These full-color Bible study guides are available for you right now if you dial this telephone number 888-244-HOPE That's 888-244-4673 We would love for you to call and get your copy of these free Bible study guides at any time That's 888-244-4673 Now more with Pastor Michael Tanko.
1: And so, amen means that which is true, that which can be trusted. So, mammon, in this context, is literally that which can be trusted, meaning money. Isn't that an interesting way of looking at it? The world system has put its trust not in God, but what? In money. It's put its trust in assets that are possessed. Money represents the stability of wealth, the measure of life's labors, and the savings that comes from life. When you put your trust in money, you cannot put your trust in Jesus Christ. In the book of Revelation, the Bible identifies the Amen who is worth more than mammon, more than money, and more than any wealth in this world. The Amen who is worthy of trust and confidence in the last day. That is the ultimate investment of your life, and it's not mammon. He is the Amen that every believer of Jesus Christ needs. The Laodicean church represents Sabbath and commandment-keeping, end-time preaching Christianity that has goods without God, credentials without Christ and riches without his righteousness. Mammon comes from the word amen which means to trust in something that's true. The world believes that money is the ultimate truth. I mean we spend all our time trying to get it, don't we? Yeah. I didn't hear any amen's of that, did I? You can say amen, mammon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now at the end, the church runs the same risk of trusting riches instead of Jesus. It's just a fact. I mean, at the very end, the church runs the risk of looking at what it has instead of who it belongs to. The children of the great Advent movement became the most upwardly mobile group of Christians in North American Christianity. The children of Millerism are the most upwardly mobile and successful religious group in the history of this country. The church of the disinherited that was cast out of the mainline churches in 1843 has become the most prosperous church of all. Sociologically speaking, the tests reveal this. The research is clear. Friend, wealth is the greatest good in reality in the church, it seems, today. The last church era, friend, in the book of Revelation is a church era that trusts in money and wealth instead of Jesus Christ, who is the riches of God. Do you realize that our denomination is so wealthy, it's unbelievable that we possess assets that would place us right up there and over Ford Motor Company. You didn't know that, did you? And yet we talk about the need of resources for radio, for reaching out in evangelism, for television. It's like, why isn't it there? Because we're so much into our institutions We have failed to understand that the call is to reach out to a world that doesn't know Jesus Christ and in so doing to have the living Christ in our church. It is a church that is rich in truths but is poor in the riches of Jesus. Revelation 3.14, To the angel of the church in Laodicea write the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. Dear heart, Jesus is the Amen. Christ is the faithful one, the true one. He is the one you can trust when you can't trust yourself or anything else in life. When the stock market crashes, He does not crash. In the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, 24, Jesus says you cannot serve God and man at the same time. In the book of Revelation, the final generation will have to choose between worldly mammon that makes you look rich and the amen that makes you really rich in the wisdom of God. The final choice at the end of time is the choice between mammon and the amen. You know, it's no accident the mark of the beast has a lot to do with buying and selling. Why? Because that goes to the heart of our faith. If you can be excluded from the economy of the world as a result of having faith in Jesus, I mean, the pull to just compromise and go along is strong. And so the mark of the beast is about mammon. You cannot trust in money and wealth and trust in Jesus to be your righteousness at the same time. So Jesus comes to the church of Laodicea with a clear rebuke from His heart of love for a prosperous, end-time, Sabbath-keeping group of Christians who profess the second coming of Jesus Christ, but who do not know Jesus Christ. It's the lover's plea for the church. Like the song of Solomon, the lover is knocking at the door, so Christ knocks at the door of the Laodicean church. He is the Amen, the true witness. In Revelation 3.15, He says, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were cold or hot. Now, Christ here describes people who come to church and leave. And that's all there is to their Christian experience. No enthusiasm for the service of God. No love for God that has a temperature to it, that is alive with love and zeal to save the lost. He describes an attitude as looking for ways to get out of obedience instead of coming into full obedience based on faith. No zeal to take risks that may hurt you and to stick your financial neck out to advance the work of God in the earth. If it challenges the church's security on the earth, avoid it. Have risk management instead of vital faith that moves forward. Verse 16, Jesus speaks and it hurts to hear it. So because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing, not knowing that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Dear heart, when the mark of the beast hits this country, our movement has a rendezvous with time. Our movement that has foreseen this thing coming, that has proclaimed the third angel's message That will be our reckoning day. It will be the opportunity for the evangelical world to see what transpired in the great advent awakening. But it will be our last opportunity. And if we fail, friend, God will raise up others to take the third angel's message to the world. Christ is absolutely clear here. We are not indispensable. Verse 16, Jesus speaks and it hurts to hear it. So because you are lukewarm. And neither cold nor hot, I will spew you out of my mouth. He would rather us be cold and indifferent than to be this way. For you say I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. The attitude of self-righteousness that is so prominent here, as if we possess all that's necessary. Friend, we did not invent the gospel. Our church is not suddenly capable of inventing a gospel at the end. We are connected organically to the Reformation, to the Apostolic Church. And the apostolic gospel is what we need. He says, not knowing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Now, what makes someone rich in the eyes of God? Where do you get currency that translates into the stuff of eternity? That's the question here implied. Where do you buy the gold that cannot be stolen from you or seized by the feds when the banks crash? Instead of faith in mammon, you need to have faith in the amen. Friend, Jesus is the Amen, the true and faithful witness, who speaks to the Advent church in verse 18, calling it to love and loyalty at the end of time. Verse 18, Therefore I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, that you may be rich, and white garments to clothe you, and to keep the shame of your nakedness from being seen, and salve to anoint your eyes that you may see. When you buy something, you exchange that something for something of greater value, don't you? In the context, Jesus is calling out to the church of Laodicea to quit trusting in riches and start trusting in the true gold of God that is found in Jesus.
2: Thanks for listening today to Reaching Your Heart. Don't forget you can always find today's broadcast online at reachingyourheart.com. That's reachingyourheart.com. We have this special offer for you. We'd love for you to have a book entitled Ultimate Survival. This book will give you practical steps on how you can survive spiritually. You'll discover keys to physical, mental, and spiritual survival you may not know existed. Call right now 888 244 4673. That's 888 244 4673. If you live in the Washington, D.C. area or are just passing through, we'd love to have you at the worship service. It's every Saturday at 11 o'clock, 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707. That's 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707. Or you can find us online at reachingyourheart.com. And join us again next time for another edition of Reaching Your Heart.